0: and gentlemen.
1: Thank you. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's tour catch-up sponsored by DownloadTennis.com,
0: Sabalenka Edge Sviontek sail into the quarterfinals, Medvedev
1: edges Zverev
0: and Emma Raducanu rediscovers her mojo in Indian Wells.
1: Chris, today is the 15th of March and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ, specially backed by our crowd funders, Conan Minnick and Pat Lowe. Uh, It's just the two of us today. Uh, Listeners may be wondering why the show started Ever so slightly different to normal. Um, And the reason for that is Joel's got concussion. Uh, He's had a slight knock to the head and uh, he's not doing so well. So we've put him off uh, to rest for a week. No screens. Sadly, no tennis watching as a result. Um, But he will have to listen to loads of back episodes of Tennis Weekly, I think.
0: Audio only, I've been told. But I think we've got to um, paint the picture a little bit more there that Joel was actually injured by a hockey ball to the head. So... That could be a a, big surprise to our listeners that he actually plays more hockey than tennis. But um, he has been been ordered that he must not be staring at screens so we can tell him what's happening in the tennis because he can't find out for himself, Kim.
1: Yeah, he's got no idea what's happening in in the tennis world, so he's eagerly anticipating this episode so he can catch up with what he's missed because he hasn't been able he to watch. He is okay, any though. It.
0: We should make clear he is okay. <laughs> yes.
1: yes. Yeah, he is okay. He's recovering, and we wish him back uh, safe and sound. Um, many of our listeners may have been wondering, yeah, like where where he is, but yeah, he's he's doing okay. Um, and uh, yeah, it's not a tennis-related injury or a podcast-related injury, fortunately. But the two of us will be here to um, to cap uh you know what's happened so far in indian wells we're now at the quarter final stage so there's loads to look forward to and loads to catch up on as well as um you know lots of other news going on in the tennis world um chris how i wasn't with you guys last week i was off in majorca um kind of having a bit of sun avoiding the snow uh in the uk but how, how have you been over the past past few weeks
0: Yes, well, we were all very jealous here at Tennis Weekly HQ because you sent us that picture of yourself on a balcony. I think it was actually a video of yourself on a balcony um, or rooftop terrace, I should say, enjoying a Hugo. And so, my big mission is to try and find out from you what is a Hugo?
1: what is a hugo <laughs> well yes so a hugo uh is a cocktail um and it just originates i think from the alpine kind of region but it's very simply it's like prosecco basically with elderflower cordial some soda water and a sprig of mint and it's very very nice and refreshing so yeah if any listeners fancy a you know, a new cocktail, quite nice for the summer, then get yourself a Hugo. But um, they are my favourite kind of, yeah, favourite rooftop bar drink. Um, not, the, not that I'm on a rooftop bar as frequently as I would like, but um, yeah. So, uh, but Joel better stay off them because I don't think alcohol mixes well with concussion so he'll have to wait to try one of those i think um, um but yeah what, what's been your highlight so far um you know at indian wells uh, you know we've had so much tennis going on we've had lots of brits in action as well including you know somewhat a bit of a resurgence for emma Radicani, which has been a lovely surprise also jack draper doing well um what's been your highlight so far from from the last week on the on the tour chris
0: well i have to say Um, sticking to our theme of French male tennis players I'm very pleased to see that Gael is back on tour Gael Monfils that he's back um his results might not have been fantastic since he has returned but very welcome that he's back on the tour after having a real bad run of injury um and so for me I think it's seeing him kind of the scenes in Indian Wells where he's kind of embracing players having finally got back to training and and being in person with all of them and I think um his uh, his wife is actually elena elena monfleece is also um returning in charleston so i think it's very good to get one of tennis's power couples um back on the tour and i think um we're only going to see good things from gail he said though one thing i should warn all of our listeners about if he does get injured again he's going to call it time so everyone fingers crossed that he does not get injured but he doesn't always have the best track record when it comes to that so here's hoping he can stay healthy the rest of the year
1: yeah because he seems to be injured on and off quite a lot so for him to say that um obviously shows you where i guess his mindset is, is that he's very frustrated i guess with so many injuries all over you know over the years but I assume he means a more significant injury not just like you know a cut finger um, or a hockey ball
0: to the temple you know
1: or a hockey ball to the temple um I, I, I'm also su- surprised that his wife is is coming back I felt I felt like they'd only just had their, their baby but obviously time has moved on and I'm you know back in back in last year but it's good good to see that she's going to be coming back soon um you know we've we have missed her on the tour she's such a solid player and you know it's been up there you know there and thereabouts for for years now so i think her presence has been missed and she'll be um you know very very warmly welcomed when she does return to the tour um i'm gonna be a bit cheeky and my highlight um for for the week actually is not related to indian wells um and listeners won't be surprised when i tell you that it relates to something to do with rafa um and I thought this news was quite funny this week and that's the fact that there's going to be a statue built um, of Rafa uh, in Majorca, I think and it's going to um, include him um, and his water bottles so it's going to look towards his family home in, in Manacor which is sort of the second biggest city of the island and um, they're going to do a statue of him of and his it's going to include. <laughs> it's going to include uh, bottles placed as he likes to do um and there's going to be an inscription highlighting his values um so it's it's going to be kind of i think one of those more interactive sculptures where you can kind of um engage with it I think it's going to be him sitting sitting on a wall kind of thing um rather than just standing like that or playing you know tennis like that one at Roland Garros so um I quite like those statues wow. I walk past one on my way to work sometimes there's a seated statue of John Keats um so I'm I'm quite I'm quite excited I by know this I exactly just,
0: where that is Kim but um
1: what the statue of John Keats
0: yeah I feel like I do oh, but um it's at
1: Guy's Hospital in London if anyone uh Wants to uh, to go no there. No water
0: bottles, though, I don't think they're. So, like, <laughs> no is he, water bottles. Is he bending <laughs> over to adjust them? Is that what we're thinking for this one? Or are we thinking they're more just symbolic of, as part of his whole shtick?
1: I don't think he's going to be bending over in the statue, but I think they're just there as, you know, as <laughs> symbolic. Um, hopefully they won't get defaced or, you know, anything like a that. A symbol but... of
0: recycling in
1: Mallorca. <laughs> yeah. Don't, yeah, don't leave your bottles on the floor like Rafa. Go and put exactly. them in a bin. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I've just been to Manicor, so I'm going to have to go back when the statue is unveiled to see it in person, but it's quite exciting. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're not here to talk about, I guess, statues, are we, as much as um, we'd love to. Um, but let, let's talk about Indian Wells, because we've had um, loads of action. Uh, we're at the quarterfinal stage. Let's begin with the women's draw, uh, Chris, your, your bread and butter, uh, so to speak. Um uh, What's been your standout story from the first week on the women's side of the draw at Indian Wells? Well,
0: I mean, I'm going to be predictable, but it has to be the return of Emma Raducanu to form, I think. What makes it so great this week is that she talked about the fact she hadn't been able to practice in the way that she wanted to. She obviously had that wrist injury was coming back. She'd had tonsillitis. You know, when it rains, it pours, it seemed to be for the British number one and, she was able to turn up and play some fantastic tennis to upset this year's Australian Open semi finalist and, and Joel's, um, one of Joel's favourites, Magda And then um, backing that up with a win over the world number 13, her second highest win so far. Highest win was against Benchich at the US Open in 2021. So there is some symbolism there. She's won three matches in a row, um, the second time since that run. So it feels like even though it might have ended in a slight loss, that it was um, a really great week for her. And I have to say, I was glued to the Haddad Maya match. That was exceptional tennis. I mean, the first set was massive hitting um, and the Radicani from the US Open, she was taking on the ball. She was right inside the baseline. And so for me, seeing what looked like an almost 100% Raducanu playing Raducanu style tennis, I just think it's... um, It's so great to see because she's been so unlucky and I think it's one of those things where we need to remember just how talented she is because despite the hiccups that she might have had, um, when she steps into a tennis court playing well, it really is something to behold
1: yeah and I think just seeing those stats actually that she hadn't had three consecutive wins since her run at the US Open you know until now that's like well over a year and a half and that just shows you really how much injury woe she's had and you know form struggles and the fact that also she's never beaten a top 10 player on the tour um, mm. you know so it's great for her to get that win against Hadad Meyer, who's just outside the top 10 but Yeah, real positives, I think, just with the form that we saw. You know, she may have come a cropper against Iga Sviantek in the early hours of of this morning in in the UK. You know, she only won four games against Igor Svantec but I feel like more despite than most, how... Kim, it's
0: more than most yeah. yeah. games.
1: <laughs> exactly that's yeah I mean it's it's yeah it's a deluge of games compared to what some people have got against Svantec but I think you know c- considering how well Svantec you know ha- has been playing as well and being the world number one it was always going to be a, a tough ask um, so I'm not surprised she really. played very well um, I watched and she that she did play well
0: I watched that this morning woke up extra early and she was everywhere. I couldn't believe how well she was defending out of the corners. I mean, wherever Raducanu hit, Schiavone managed to get behind the ball and put it back, even with more depth than Raducanu hit it with. So she was almost a human wall that also had some serious hitting potential. I mean, it was, I mean, a bit devastating that second set, to be honest.
1: Yeah, it sort of ran away um, from Emma, I think, didn't it? Because Iga won the last yeah six games. And mode it was in engaged. Effect, it a seemed. Bagel the Polish bakery yes it, uh, a, yes it was a bagel yeah and Shivante uh, will go on to play Serrana Castella who did upset uh, podcast uh, favourite Caroline Garcia in a, a three set tussle uh, Castella one of those players that is very often you know is there to cause an upset isn't she um, so a bit frustrating for, for Garcia but do you think Castella couldn't can continue her, you know, her run here against Fionte? Or is she just going to, you know, how many games is she going to get? Or do you think she could pull off the unthinkable?
0: Well, she's gone a bit under the radar, hasn't she so far this year? I think um, she hasn't been kind of getting that many wins, but she does love to play against, you know, one of those top ranked players. Um, She won't be intimidated by, by the nature of that situation. Um, I think potentially it's going to be one way traffic purely because, the nature of the court and the nature of of Iga is that she really does get back. And I think she probably is the best defender on the tour, and the best mover on the tour. And Cristea is all about hitting winners. And so I think if you're able to kind of do sort of a similar thing in terms of the Raducani match, I think she will be able to weave her web and, and make that very difficult for Cristea to, to get the ball through the court.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think so. I, I I quite like a bit of Seranova Steer. You know, I've seen her quite a bit of Grand Slams, and she's always involved. I feel like with very entertaining matches, but I'm not so sure that the one against Vondráček is going to be quite so close and entertaining. What I think would be the the more um, entertaining clash from this side of the draw is is the Mukova Rebeccana quarterfinal because I think that's quite an interesting matchup. Uh, Rebeccana doing very well to come through the draw so far in, in straight sets, and Mukova uh, also coming through. She's beaten Azarenka and Vondrusova so far. But we know Mukova on her day, you know, can cause an upset as well. A bit, a bit like a Kosteja, but perhaps a slightly different level. Um, Joel had predicted Rebecca to win the title. Um, she, she's looking good so far. Do, so where do, where do you think Rabakina is going to fare in this tournament? Do you think she could be the one maybe um, going further to, to upset Fiontek's apple cart, maybe?
0: Wow. I think the nature of the of the court, it does suit a player who might not naturally be the quickest of movers. It gives them a bit more time to get behind the ball. Um, and that's why I think it looks like ega has got so much time. So I think if you're a big hitter, and she is, um, and you're able to kind of play it almost a little bit like a, a clay court in that sense, I think it's... Um, going to be a really interesting encounter i think that that match with mukova i think that will be particularly interesting um at this stage in the quarterfinal and i think whoever wins that match will be highly entertaining but Rebecca had some injury woes coming in you know she she we weren't sure there was a question mark and i said joel was very bold of him to predict um rebakina to win this one because she did have to pull out of her last match prior to this but she's beaten you know grand slam champion in kenan um former champion in Badossa, um and then obviously a bit more straight uh, sailing against um, Gerocheva. But obviously she had a great result um, in, in Dallas. So she's beating some form players and making it look pretty straightforward. So I would say that's probably my prediction for this area that I reckon that's probably what we're going to end up having. Uh, an eager Sviantek ma- uh, an eager Shviontech match we would definitely have that <laughs> uh, she's been split in. into two it's the
1: only, weight, only
0: person who can beat her is herself maybe I mean, it's you, herself. Can, you <laughs> can delve into that if you want to and unpack what's going on there but um, no Rebecca I think it will be her kryptonite in this sense that will um, oh yeah face off. also
1: a battle of uh you know the slam champions as well really um and just i have to move before we move on to the other part of the draw chris sloane stevens against sophia Kenin that mm. did catch my eye in the draw you know two former grand slam champions two you know Kim, american yeah. players yes uh straight sets Kennan, what i assume you got up in the middle of the night to watch this match as well as, as you do for sloane yeah
0: it was um it was, it was unfortunate. I think Kennan did play very well, but I, I just think we've been in a bit of a, a tricky spot with Sloane this last couple of years in terms of um, what's going to happen with her game and where her kind of commitment is to tennis. And I, I think it's, um, it's not as focused as, as she could be at some of these moments. Um, I'm hoping we get a clay court resurgence like we did last year with a quarterfinal in Paris. But um, Miami... She's won it before, so I'm staying optimistic in that sense that there's still a little bit of hardcore hope left this year.
1: Yes, let's see what she does uh, over the next uh, next half of the Sunshine Double. Um, and then let's look at the other results from the ladies' um, side because uh, Australian Open champion Arena Sabalenka, she's doing well. Um, she has benefited from a walkover, but she had a, uh, a tough match against uh, Barbora. Kutikova, who I think you were tipping um, quite a bit, weren't you, Chris, of late? Um, yes. But it was Sabalenka that came out on top in their round of 16 clash. What did you make of of that match and, and Sabalenka's performance?
0: Well, I was watching it yesterday and I do think it was a bit topsy-turvy. I don't think either of those players would say that they played their best tennis in that one. it uh, both had moments where they played well. It was quite stop and start in terms of um, the tennis and, you know, it'd be a missed second serve return and then a um a winner off a first serve so it was one of those sorts of matches where um it was about getting the win and winning ugly if you needed to so not pretty but finally a way to win is obviously you know what the champions do and what the champions do best and um Sabalenka was able to edge that it was super tight in that final set it was 5-4 and it went to juice in that game I, I can't quite remember if there's a break point or not but it could have gone either way that clash so I think um a bit of revenge there from what happened in uh, Dubai, where she actually bagelled um, Kudryavtseva in that first set, and then kind of uh, went on to lose that match. So having picked up a relatively straightforward first set, uh, you, she must have been thinking, surely not again. But um, but no, I think it was um, a solid performance, and you know she's moved to fifteen-one um, for the season. So I think we kind of forget that obviously she she ha- did pick up that title prior to Australia. Um, and that I think a lot of people would love to see a Sabalenka-Shviontek final.
1: Mm, I think that's what I've got, I think. Oh, but is it, Kim? I mean...
0: Is it, Kim? You missed the predictions <laughs> hey, it hasn't episode, happened
1: yet. <laughs> suddenly,
0: you're getting it all right.
1: Uh, it hasn't happened yet, but I mean, uh, yeah, shviontek uh, Sabalenka virtually unbeaten for the year so her, her good form continues um, and her serving form really as well like you know compared to last year when she was couldn't get a serve in but um, she'll be playing uh, playing Coco Golf in the quarterfinal um and the other quarterfinal is between Maria Sakkari and Petra Kvitova. Kvitova beating Jesse Pagula. Um, I woke up this morning, looked at the live scores and saw that they had like an epic tie break. Um, it's a 24 point final set tie break in that match, um, which was crazy. Kvitova saving four match points. Um Match of the tournament, possibly, Chris? I don't, don't know if we're going to top that. Um, I, I might agree, epic actually. Finishes. I
0: think epic finishes. And, you know, we love a, a story where someone's able to, you know, like a Murray sort of player in Kvitova who's had an awful lot of success and a grandstand champion who we all kind of will on to get some great results because when they're playing well, it is... Um, they're so well-liked and they play such entertaining tennis. And all of the match points are pretty much saved by, you know, Kvitova winners. So that's something... That you can't say that she ever shies away on the big points. I think she actually plays them better than some of the, the less significant points. Um, but I, I did love at the end, um, n- new podcast favorite Jessie Pagula, when she said. She was hugging Kvitova at the net and said, I was just hoping someone end it, you know, because the match had been going on for so long and said the tiebreak." and Kvitova burst out laughing. So, I mean, she is the realest of the real Paguda in that sense that, you know, she she took it well, the loss and just thought, you know what, neither of us want to win it clearly by the fact that we're still here 24 points into a tie or 23 points into a tiebreak. Um, I was going to ask you, Kim, did you catch any of the topsy-turvy encounter that made some of the headlines between Kvitova and Ostapenko um,
1: earlier in the week? I didn't catch it, but I noticed the score and I immediately thought of Joel, actually, he because loves these. he loves these. And if scoreboard stories were still a thing, this would definitely be our scoreboard story of the week. Um, yeah, Ostapenko won the first set with a bagel, six love, Kvitova won the second set with a bagel six love, but actually won 10 games in a row uh, to go four love up in the third set. Then Ostapenko came back with four games off the trot and then Kvitova won the last two games. So absolutely bizarre. um, I think throughout the whole match, really. Um, And I don't know if the the tennis scoring system was any different, would we have ever seen, I I don't know what what would we have seen a, a i don't know i just it baffles me um, it how many me consecutive actually, games they could each win
0: <laughs> of um uh a match from the u.s open i think from many years ago between venus williams and kim clijsters if i'm oh, yeah. correct in thinking that was a bagel followed by a bagel um followed by uh a much maybe a six four set. It could be the exact same scoreline. That's something that I'd love to find out now to see if that is the case, because um, I do think that it was. I mean, they're both big hitters as well. I can confirm. Yes, exactly. It was the exact same scoreline. line what, six, love, love six, six, six love six, four. four. Yeah, and that Blimey. was from the 2010 final of the U.S. Open. And I just thought. And I watched that and it was quite entertaining because, you know, one, player's, one of those players is playing well. They're hitting great winners and the same with Clijsters and, and Venus Williams at that time. And then we got one set where they were both playing well. So that is the difference. That final set, it was almost going to serve. Whereas this one was um, for love, for all, 6-4. So.
1: Yeah, still very up and down, like very much topsy turvy, wasn't it? But that's very niche knowledge. uh, The exact scoreline you remember, so yeah, just came to me.
0: Thanks, Kim. (laughs) Why is that not part of the course this week?
1: No, exactly. Um, um, But yeah, let's talk about. let's talk about I mean, we could talk about women WTA you know we could uh, talk about it uh, for the rest of the evening there's been so much going on but let's go on to the men's side of the action um, currently got Cameron Norrie against Francis TFO uh, yes, as we're I recording can see this I over
0: your shoulder Kim I'm actually <laughs> if, if it ever goes quiet it's because I'm having a, a watch of that one
1: yeah, he's. Yeah, you're sneakily watching the telly behind me. Um, you can see more of it than I can myself when I'm looking at my screen. <laughs> <He keeps> um, <laughs> Teddy <turning> around. <laughs> TFO is a setup. Uh, unfortunately for British fans. But do you know what? Before we get on to the tennis, can I just say I love Francis TFO's outfit. Um, definitely good, definitely a fashion fave. Raspberry Ripple uh, ice cream, I think being the inspiration. Um, yeah, just love it. I think a lot of the outfits, the Nike outfits are bright, quite colourful, quite yeah. quite nice this tournament. So I'm I love impressed. them.
0: I think he's made, um, he's made amends for... His rather audacious um, fashion moment from the Australian open, which um, I think we weren't quite sure about. But this, they had the Nike kit. Um, I said Emma Radicani, I said this to you earlier four outfits in four matches because it's uh, you're able to swap
1: chop and change. Chop and yeah. change,
0: exactly. That's a capsule wardrobe, Kim.
1: <laughs> Versatile and fashionable. What yeah. will TFO be no. in
0: tomorrow? Who knows?
1: I know. I mean, also, if anyone has the I don't know style to pull off an audacious outfit I do think it's France's TFO so um yeah very impressed but i suppose we should actually talk about the tennis not just what people are wearing yes um let's look at the well let's look at that section of the draw actually because um, so they're in the bottom half of the draw with um medvedev and davidovich fakina being in the other uh sort of section uh Norrie won yesterday against rublev straight sets which i was quite um impressed by uh hopefully he'll be able to stage a bit of a comeback against TFO but yeah TFO doing well to come through the draw as well um, Sitsipas had, had fallen uh, from his sort of little section lost to Jordan Thompson in a last set tie break earlier in the week um, but I think really from this half of the draw I'm very much looking uh, at Medvedev to come through given his recent run of form you know he's won several titles on the trot um, he did have a bit of an epic with Sasha Zverev um, 7-5 in the third so just edging him, um, and I feel like the two of them do often have some some close encounters, but this one went over three hours long, um, to give Medvedev his 17th win on the trot. Um, do you see anyone in the draw being able to challenge Medvedev? Um, Chris, are you kind of thinking this is going to be title number four, um, you know, w- with a couple of wins to go?
0: Well, I think he's pretty lucky, he's in the bottom half of this draw obviously we're going to talk about the top half a little bit later on, but the way the court plays, and I think that at times Alcaraz can play in quite a, uh, a Svantec kind of way in terms of phenomenal mover and can also um, make some fantastic shots. I think he's proving he might be a bit tricky. I think we've got a few other players in there. We've got defending champion still in. I think Sinner could do some damage. Um, Similar thing. If you move well and you're a big hitter, this is going to be the sort of court for you. So, I actually think that Medvedev is not the favourite, um, and maybe not even the favourite to come through his next match because the, the well the the tennis that I saw, so I kind of um, uh, took a took a seat on my sofa, eagerly awaiting um, the Sasha Medvedev match, and what I saw in that first set, it was not good tennis it was really really messy and tactically it was all over the shop and and then i was actually making a tally chart during the tiebreak. break him this is what i've become making
1: a tally chart yeah, I, love I was it.
0: about so i was like no one's winning points here and in the tie break there were 12 points played so that's actually half the points of the kvitova Pagula um tie break. but there were seven unforced errors one forced error one drop shot winner two volley winners and one ace um and so it just kind of shows you that once the point had got going off the ground it was it was a i mean i haven't seen misses like this especially on sasha's forehand wing um it just seemed like people weren't making the adjustments and it reminded me of that you know the 2020 uh, us open final where i think sasha should have got that win but it was just mm. this back and forth of a comedy of errors at times and I mean, it was a bit of a farce with Medvedev on the floor injured, Sasha trying to help him up and Medvedev saying, leave me here. And then he came on to win it. And it all just seemed a bit, um, a bit ridiculous. I think Um, all of the theatrics that went around that match.
1: Theatrics and Medvedev. Now, they're two words I've not heard in the same sentence before. No, it's Uh, very unlike him. Yeah, (laughs) Um, No cameras were harmed in the
0: making
1: of that. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yeah, he's also not very happy with the court, which we will actually be discussing a bit later on. Um, Yes, I I remember that uh, US Open 2020. It it did feel like no one wanted to win it at one stage and it was like this yeah, one. not pretty tennis yeah so uh it's funny you do get some matches don't you where yeah the quality is not great and therefore they, they, they the go best, down them? to the yeah. wire but it's not you know it, maybe not as enjoyable as just someone playing lights out and thrashing someone you know but you actually get like the beautiful tennis yes <laughs> um so we'll see we'll see I still think Medvedev won't be troubled by Ale- Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, but We'll see. Maybe, maybe against you know a TFO or, or someone, or a Norrie, um, or, a Norrie, do you think or a Norrie, Norrie, yeah, will make perhaps the think? I'd love to. I mean, Norrie's won this title before, so he he he's reached the quarterfinals here three times on the trot now. I think it's the only British player to to have done that. Um, so he obviously feels very comfortable uh, at Indian Wells. So hopefully he's he can find, stage a bit of a comeback. He's finding
0: a way to win this year, Kim, isn't he? When you think he's mm, down, he, he finds a way. So. And TFO is not known to be the best of closers. So there's more in that match yet, I think. And we'll update you as we go.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, We've got last year's defending champion, Taylor Fritz, uh, also in the quarterfinals. Um, He will be playing Yannick Sinner, who, you know, has been doing fairly fairly well of late. But yeah, Fritz coming through. To be honest, he's had a fairly straightforward draw so far. Um, I think really from this section, I guess one of the standout matches um, we we saw was was Stan the Man against Holger Rune. Stan still showing that he's capable of getting a, you know, a win against, a, I guess, a top player. Like, was, you know, in the third set, he came through. Your pick for the tournament, I think, was Holger Rune, Chris. Are you sort of slightly regretting this after this Stan the Man match? <laughs> you know
0: what? I I really need to learn that if you predict something, it won't happen. Um, but I just think that once you've seen someone play that well, I guess it just makes the point that they can't do it week in week out. Um, it is tricky, and the conditions do change. So, I mean, that match, it, Stan should have got it done in in two. So I say the positives mm-hmm. from that one, I would say, is that you know, even when Holger wasn't playing his best, and he said it was actually one of the worst matches he's played, he was still able to to push. You know, a a former grandson champion all the way and and make it pretty difficult. So there are positives to take from it, but um I, I am regretting that decision if I'm being honest.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's all right. I, I've I've had far roguer uh predictions in, in my time, as I'm sure Joel has as well. Um but yeah, I mean Stan up subsequently lost to Yannick Sinner who, you know, has come through quite quite, you know, well in straight sets so far. He's playing, yeah, he's playing Fritz next. Um I think that one's pretty close i wouldn't be surprised if sinner sinner gets better i'm
0: backing sinner for that one based on the form he's had but i did see that um some of the fritz ben shelton first round match and ben shelton's kicker second serve might be one of the best serves i've ever seen on the tour i mean someone who is as tall and has a bigger wingspan as taylor fritz couldn't get near it Mm. um It's almost like if we say it's like the Sam Stozer of the ATP, but maybe times two because I've never seen kick on a serve like it. So that is one to watch if he's 20 and he's developed that level of skill. um, Mm. I think we're about to see some very interesting things from him the rest of the season. I think it's just a bit unlucky that, you know, he drew Fritz in that first round because I think he could have had a pretty good tournament here.
1: Yeah, needs to just develop everything else uh, to, to go along with the, the lethal yes, weapon that is his kick serve. serve. <laughs> because yeah. ideally you'd make the
0: first serve, right?
1: <laughs> well, ideally, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, just talking of, of, you know, going back to Stan, we also had another, you know, former Grand Slam champion in Andy Murray. Um, this He was in a very kind of funny section of the draw with, you know, Dan Evans and Jack Draper. So there's quite a lot of Brits just in one section. So Jack Draper, for example, you know, he beat Dan evans and then who was he up to play next andy murray another brit uh jack draper came through that one in straight sets um to set up you know a a encounter with with carlos alcaraz which we were all looking forward to very much um which was you know sort of in our night uh last night but that yeah that did not go to plan it was uh six 2 two love jack draper retiring um you know alcaraz continues his way through um the draw you know in in straight sets but yeah a massive shame for for jack draper there who you know i mean i don't know if he would have beaten alcaraz but it's always a shame to see your match end in in retirement isn't it
0: yeah. And I think it's a shame because, you know, we've we do know that when it comes to to Jack Draper, that he, he does have a bit of a tendency on the physical side to struggle a little bit, especially, you know, that US Open run last year and, you know, he had a hip issue and then it followed with um kind of a stomach muscle injury here. So uh, and he also I think he had kind of heavy strapping on his on his right leg. So it's a a big shame. And I think it just shows you even more, you know, that Andy Murray is not retiring from matches it just shows you the conditioning the amount of rehab he must do to be able to to bounce back from i mean his first round match was over three hours um it's incredible when you think about the physicality of murray and how he's able to do all of that and um, with the hip all the rehab all the physical work to put himself in the best condition to still be competing so um that result really does kind of put into perspective the work that he does um off the court um but we have to we have to give a shout out to the fact that Andy Murray won a match in straight sets Kim
1: I know yeah that's a a real rarity um all of my family were like have you heard Andy Murray hasn't gone to a Stop last set tiebreak it was Stop done in two yeah. so you have to you have
0: to make plans again cuz when he's playing you just cancel everything right
1: yes yeah, so you just know it's going to go late and it's going to go down to the wire but yeah 6-4 6-3 six, six, against Radu Albot even um a tie break. so yeah not a tie break or seven five set in sight so yeah well done andy um but yeah he continues to amaze doesn't he i i still think andy has provided some of the you know best entertainment on the tour this year in particular
0: watchable tennis player on the tour this year i think
1: and you know one of the tennis players with the most heart and tenacity which we love to see and makes him compelling to watch uh You know, whatever the score is, really. Um, Alcaraz continues, though. He's up against FAA in his quarterfinal. FAA almost didn't get there. He had to save six match points to beat Tommy Paul. Um... So that was a bit of a dramatic uh, encounter for, for Felix. He n- managed to, to come through by the skin of his teeth. Um, but as a result, he has now reached uh, the quarterfinals at the last six Masters uh, events. So building that consistency at these you know top level tournaments, which is which is really good. Um, and as a result, I'm going to put him in the quarterfinals of my Miami predictions, I think, uh, to see if he can make yeah, it well, I mean, seven or the Now we know this
0: information, <laughs> hopefully Joel won't listen. I think we can both put him in the quarterfinals. To
1: find it at least <laughs> yeah exactly um, it just needs to go a bit further doesn't he and, and actually maybe win a masters uh, w- which would be nice but yeah we've got um so that's our that's our lineup um, and uh, we'll be Discussing more from Indian Wells in just a moment, Uh, but we're going to take a very quick break now, but do join us in the second half where we'll be um, looking at all of the other bits and bobs from the tour this week and all the action still to come from Tennis Paradise. So do not go anywhere. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And before we get into the rest of the action, we have, uh, for the first time in a long time, Chris, we have a mysterious player for the podcast.
0: We do have a mysterious player. I thought this was the perfect opportunity um, to try something a bit different. You know, we've had a lot of back and forths. We've had an awful lot of um, the highest number. And I was thinking a mysterious player could be the perfect thing to keep you on your toes Kim I know you love a challenge uh, and I, I do a, a topical there's a first good topical mysterious player might be something that you will um relish the opportunity of guessing
1: oh so um yeah for anyone who hasn't listened uh in a while or is, is quite new to the show uh, this is another game we do well chris will present a series of clues and uh, i will have to guess um after each clue who i think it is um and technically as you go along the clues tend to get a bit easier they build a bigger picture of the person um so yeah well let's crack on we'll see how we go um i'll do my absolute best uh but yeah chris do you want to kick us off and give give me the uh, and our listeners the the first clue
0: yes this is where we insert the mysterious player jingle um which we haven't bought yet. but Which we don't have. <laughs> we do not have, so we can imagine that. Um, so the first clue, and this is very tricky, is that uh, I have a career high ranking of number two.
1: Oh, that could be a, a number of players, couldn't it? Um, who only got to number two in the world? Oh, gosh. Um, Annette's Contivate.
0: That is a very good guess, and that is completely accurate um, in the sense that she did get to number two, but oh, not the I thought player you were I got it right. Kid. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. Um, very- <laughs> My best result at a Grand Slam was the semi finals, and I made it three times in Australia in 1999, 2002, and 2007.
1: Blimey. Okay. So, three-time semi-final. All in Australia. Blimey. They must have loved the courts down there. Um It's not one of the Swedish players, is it? Like was it there are Johanssons flying around. Although I thought one of them won a slam. Thomas Johansson?
0: <sighs> it's it's a very impressive guess. I think you're just showing off your knowledge now, but um I will continue.
1: Okay. Well, my lack of knowledge because I haven't got it right yet. <laughs> it's, uh, I think I'm learning okay, I might on. have
0: this a bit hard. Um, but it will. they do get slightly easier. Um, I have a
1: one-handed backhand.
0: <laughs> Not that much easier.
1: Oh. <laughs> uh, I just think of Federer and Stan the Man when I think of one-handed backhands and, cur- you know, more current players like team. Who in past days had a... One-handed back and I got to number two in the world. Made three Australian Open semifinals. I don't even know if it's a bloke or a woman. Um, I don't know which tour they were playing on, which rankings they got to number two on. Um,
0: I can continue.
1: Yeah, next clue. (laughs) My mind's gone blank.
0: (laughs) I was two sets to love up against Roger Federer at Roland Garros in
1: 2009. Oh, and that's the year he won it, isn't it? 'Cause that's when Rafa had his sodling encounter. Those do you know what, two I events do... are not connected, oh, Kim.
0: A... Not connected. Sodling taking out Rafa and Federer winning it, remember? He would have won it anyway. No, it's not, so yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, of course. Sorry, yeah, any Federal. Yeah, of yes. course he would have done. Yes. I do remember that he did have there was an encounter, yeah, where he did have a oh Tommy Robredo? <laughs>
0: That's a good guess, but I will continue. I will continue. Very close. I am now a tournament director.
1: Oh my God. It's yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm in the right vein, aren't I? Oh, and you said it was topical. Yes. Okay. It is a Tommy, isn't it? It's uh, Tommy Haas. Tommy Haas.
0: It is. It's Tommy Haas. Well done, Because <laughs> he's him. the
1: tournament director. A bit yes. slow there. Um, no, oh, you, right. Yeah, because he did get to number two, didn't he? I oh. was slightly
0: surprised by that. I like, have to be honest. Um, and he did win a master's title he... in Stuttgart. So oh. also a silver medalist. Oh, that's a great one. In singles. So there was quite a few things oh, I could have included. Born in Hamburg, I thought probably he wouldn't his... help.
1: Oh, that no, but that that might have given it... I weigh a bit way too soon so i could refine it down to to german players but no you um, did get it yeah on his day he was amazing wasn't he
0: so you won it before we got out thank of you questions. very so much that counts as a, a winning and let us know if you got there before kim did <laughs> i'm, I'm sure, sure some of
1: our listeners will have done um some of red heart on these
0: things but i think that was um was it pitched about the right level kim do you reckon Do you want a bit more of a challenge next yeah. time yeah
1: I think it was good. It was it was challenging for me. Um and then it kind of finally clicked. So um Joel yeah. will have to tell us how he um, did next week. Yes, he'll have to let us know. <laughs> um let's have a look at what's in our mailbag for this week. Um because our mailbag actually uh refers to Daniel Medvedev's comments um after his um recent match at Indian Wells about the court. So um Sebastian has got in contact with us via email uh to say As a non-tennis playing fan, it seemed rather strange that Medvedev would say the courts in Indian Wells are not hard courts. How much of a difference does the surface make? Are the courts too slow or does Medvedev have a point? He is referring to Medvedev's comments, um, which basically said uh, that the court is not what what they would call a hard court. Um, What a shame to call this awful court a hard court. Um, He actually said he's going to pee as slow as this court is. Um, The court is so slow. I don't accept this um uh, this is not hard courts and i'm kind of um just amalgamating some of his comments they're paraphrasing and that's that's what i'm looking for um what do you make of his comments chris and if it's not a hard court what is it
0: i mean kim now that is the question <laughs> um define a hard court well i think it's by definition i think we have to say it. it is very much a hard court um <laughs> i wouldn't call it grass and it's definitely not blue clay um It might play a little bit like blue clay, though, in some ways, but blue clay does play much quicker. But um, what I would say is key here is that it is a very, very slow hard court. It is still a hard court. It does play a bit more like clay. I mean, it plays probably slower than an indoor clay court. Um, So slower than a Stuttgart, for example. Um, I think it's because it's quite a gritty texture as well. And the conditions um, in the desert are that it's quite warm during the day, but Medvedev's been playing quite a lot of matches later on as well. Um, and so it does change. So, um, But this is a, something that Medvedev has brought up multiple times, almost every time he plays in Indian Wells. He brought it up last year. We know it's a slow court. It doesn't suit his game. There are some players it does suit the game of more. Um and I think you kind of see like in, in the Radicani match and in her interview afterwards, she did kind of say similar things in the sense that, um, due to the conditions and being colder in the evening as well, um, it was a lot harder to kind of get get the ball to the court. Whereas in her daytime matches it was much easier because it travelled much faster and it was much livelier. Um so it's difficult to get kind of the same quality of shot that she was looking for. And you could see that Iga was able to get behind the ball. Um So I do think it does make sense that it is very slow. So it does favor those players in that sense. But I think it's definitely a mental thing with him because if it's a very slow court, I'm not sure why you're 10 meters or 10 feet behind the baseline. And that was kind of a key thing from that match I was watching is that he hasn't adjusted. Um, He's almost standing in the same place that he stands, you know, on any other surface, even if it plays much more quickly than this. So um, it is, he has got a point. It is very slow. But I put it to you, Kim, um, a slow hard court is still a hard court.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we know he loves to have a bit of a whinge. And uh, I, I wonder if he goes and wins this tournament if if but suddenly he he'll be at clay, peace with it. Right?
0: He doesn't enjoy clay and he <laughs> plays like a, a slow clay court.
1: And you know he's not historically had vast amounts of success on on a grass court either. So I mean he just, yeah, he, it's not going. You're never going to have the perfect court surface. He did for what he you did say he is like a
0: hard court specialist, and that's what game. he knows. So that was a particular highlight, I think.
1: Yeah, but um, I mean he has a bit of a point. Obviously it's affecting other players, or they agree with him. But I think you know there comes a certain point you can't do anything about it. That is the condition. So mm-hmm. Sebastian is kind of no to slower than last that. year. Exactly yeah <laughs> but thanks sebastian for your question um please do let us know anyone if you've got any questions for the mailbox um the mailbag i should say we don't physically have an actual post box, PO box. Um, but you know always happy to answer them <laughs> uh, so let's take a bit of um yeah let's have a look at the the news uh, out in the tennis world a bit of challenger related gossip actually uh, chris for the week um there's a phoenix uh, challenger happening where a lot of top players have been uh, signed up to it so we've got the likes of matteo berrettini gail Monfils, G- uh, diego Schwartzman. they're due to play um this event um which you know it's for a challenger you would never normally get that that caliber of, of players um but even more bizarre, uh, Novak Djokovic was invited to play a challenger uh, in Italy because um, he's not playing, you know, in Indian Wells um, and we don't think he's going to be at Miami um, as well. So a challenger event in Italy have made a sort of last ditch efforts to get Novak to, to play in, in San Remo in Italy. Um, now, The likes of Berrettini and Co, they are allowed to play at the Challenger in Phoenix, but Djokovic isn't allowed to play at the Challenger in Italy. Um, Chris, why is that? What what, what are the rules around challengers and and sort of who can and can't play them? Because I wasn't really aware of this until now.
0: Well, I think it's a shame because it sounds like the tournament that invited Novak Djokovic also weren't aware of it, um, even if he did wish to play it. But the rule... An article seven zero seven of the ATP rulebook state: players positioned between one and ten in the ATP singles rankings twenty one days prior to the first Monday of the ATP Challenger Tour tournament are prohibited from entering, accepting a wildcard, and slash all competing in an ATP Challenger Tour tournament. So, it's very definitive in that sense. But I do think something that's quite interesting um, about this is that one to ten. I mean the difference between a 10 and 11 is pretty minimal and you feel like it would be a much more natural cutoff would be the top 20 um because you can see some people may be playing with provisional ranking for example um it's unlikely that you would be playing that if you were kind of in a one to ten but um it feels like a bit of an odd cutoff point um what do you think about that kim
1: yeah, I wasn't actually aware that they had a cutoff. Um, I know we've seen like big names at challengers before, but that's always been when they've dropped down the rankings because of injury or, or what have you. So I, I guess I'd never actually thought about, you know, a world number one uh, playing a challenger. I agree there should be some sort of ranking cutoff because it's not fair otherwise, you know, because that, that- person is then denying you know a player who relies on the challenger tour um you know it's denying them their you know spot in the draw so and novak Djokovic doesn't need to play this tournament um obviously the tournament would love him to be there i can imagine that the did, draw though, no, that no, if he it would up bring with the, the crowd <laughs> a vegan
0: gelato yeah
1: <laughs> yeah just fancied a trip to san remo well he did play there in 2005 and he won the event so they you oh. know think it's kind of great marketing to have you know previous champion coming back
0: anyway presents the trophy
1: yeah he could do I mean you know I think he speaks Italian he's you know doesn't he only lives down the road San Remo is super close to Monte Carlo you can get there in a day on the train um so they could entice him the somehow train, but they've he? got a whole <laughs> hashtag for uh, <laughs> yeah we'll see he, he has to change at Ventimiglia and uh, swap <laughs> over from the French train to the Italian train definitely gonna see Novak doing that um but yeah, I mean, on the other side, we've got the Phoenix challenger where, you know, Berrettini and Co. are playing and, and perhaps, yeah, they shouldn't, should they be allowed to play? Because that's also taking spots away from players who would be relying on playing that challenger. So it isn't really totally fair. Maybe they should extend the, mm. you know, the the rankings cut off to 20, 30 i don't know i
0: can i can see that i'd say for for this one i think it's quite unusual you know that we've got to consider the timing of it because these players have been eliminated from the tournament in the first week of indian wells so therefore they have a free week where they're hopefully looking to fine-tune some of their skills on the way over to florida so uh, this is in phoenix so obviously it is kind of um not almost on route sort of Um, (laughs) So, like, it is an odd time when there are players who are looking for a bit of fine tuning. So, it's it's a bit of an unusual one. So, I'm not sure how big a problem it is because I'm not sure many top ten players would be looking to play challenges at any point, as you say. But um, true, a bit of an anomaly. But for people at Phoenix, head down and and check out some some top level tennis.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a great opportunity. Um, and yeah, the other thing that's kind of come to light. This week uh, out in Indian Wells. We've had quite a lot of uh, contentious issues and talking points with regards to the, you know, the the russian invasion of ukraine and the ongoing war and conflict you know sadly this is something that is affecting you know all um sectors and areas including sport and we've seen a fair number of, of things coming out on the tennis circuit this week uh, we've had potapova wearing a spartak moscow team jersey uh, on court uh, she walked onto her match um which you know was not a a great look um, really and there were lots of you know reservations from from other players about that we've had Yelena Ostapenko having her funding cut uh, by the Latvian Tennis Federation because she plays tournaments where Belarusians and Russians also participate and we've also had Ukrainian Lesha Turekis Cerenko, uh pulling out of her match against Arena Sabalenka, uh, who's Belarusian, of course, um, after comments uh, from the WTA chief executive gave her what she called a panic attack. So um, a lot to unpack here, Chris. Um, don't really know where to start because there's yes, yeah, quite a lot of, um, yeah, quite negative, um, but also, you know, harrowing kind of, um, obviously, feelings still surrounding um a lot of the players um Anastasia Potapova wearing a Moscow uh you know Spartak Moscow football shirt is that you know do you think that was intentional do you think that was just in insens- insensitivity she wasn't really you know aware or do you think she you know how much did that provoke you know reaction
0: it's definitely avoidable, I would say, you know, I think mm. it's, um, she said that she's been a fan of them since she was 13, she meant nothing by it. Um, but I still think at the same time, we have seen players wearing, you know, national jerseys, a little bit more coming onto court, being a bit more playful in their attire heading onto court. But I think you have to be much more aware that if you are um, kind of representing or sporting, you know, a, a, a Moscow or a Russian team in this instance, um, it is going to send a certain message of support and uh, especially because in all of the international football ties and competitions, um, whilst the conflict, uh, whilst whilst the invasion and the war goes on, um, they're banned from playing. So it is one where, um, showing that you support them could also be a sign that you're showing that you, um, support them despite kind of the, the restrictions they have for playing. And again, completely avoidable. Um, you'd think that she would know that that wouldn't be a good look or a good idea. Um, and maybe um, maybe it's something where the WTA needs to be a bit clearer mm-hmm. in terms of whether you're able to kind of voice your support for Russia in some ways, because some things are obviously cultural and and some things are have a bit more sort of um, uh, intention behind it, which could be misinterpreted, but it lends itself. I mean, we were debating this earlier, Kim, weren't we, in terms of Wimbledon, um, there is talk that Wimbledon will be allowing Belarusians and Russians to participate. And I mean, surely Potapova wouldn't be allowed to to do this if she was allowed back to Wimbledon. This would be a violation, I imagine.
1: Yeah, we're expecting that Wimbledon will allow Russians and Belarusians to play this year. But that would be under a neutral uh, flag, not a national flag or anything. But yeah, certainly I would imagine there should be strict guidelines about the behaviour and what you can and can't do arounding. You know, around your nationality and certainly wearing a football shirt you know it's not a Russian football shirt of the national team but it's still of a Russian club and I think Wimbledon would absolutely not allow that and I think after this sort of instance the WTA and ATP should probably just clarify with some some guidelines I know Iga Sviontek spoke out about uh, this sort of incident and said she was very surprised um, and that you know Potipova should have realised that it's not you know really appropriate to show her views in this way and you know maybe Potapova was an honest mistake but I'm sure she'll hopefully learn from that because it, yeah it doesn't doesn't have a good look um, and especially you know in light of, of um, we had comments from Lesha Surenko um, who pulled out of her match against uh, Sabalenka we, we don't know if that's because you know she couldn't face playing Sabalenko, who's who's Belarusian, but um, she did come out and say that she had a conversation with the CEO of the WTA um, who kind of was basically saying um, that, you know, he himself does not support the war, but if players from Russia and Belarus support it, then this is only their own opinion and the opinion of other people should not upset me, i.e. upset Serenko. So this is what Sarenko was saying anyway. Basically, she was... Um, implying that Steve Simon had kind of just told her to like get on with it and if you know if the Russian and Belarusian players um, did support the war like she shouldn't be upset by that Um, but that's a bit also a bit of insensitivity going on there. I think maybe it was lost in, I don't know, translation. We, we don't actually know, you know, we weren't involved in that conversation. That's her interpretation. So we don't know if that's exactly what was said. But um, obviously those comments don't look good either, um, you know, coming out and, you know, from the CEO of the WTA. So um, and obviously it's causing Serenko quite a lot of anxiety and panic attacks and all of that you know, her mental health. And I think she's had quite a lot of withdrawals from from events and tournaments, I think, you know, since the war started, basically. So just shows, you know, the struggles that are ongoing with um, like Ukrainian players, basically, who, you know, are trying to forge a career and survive on the tour with all all of this going on. And comments like that just aren't very helpful.
0: They aren't helpful, but I think it does kind of remind me, and I'm not comparing um, war to um, people's views on um, the LGBTQ um, plus community. But I do think it is sort of similar to the idea that, you know, someone like Margaret Court, who's made her views very clear about what she thinks, and that's her belief um, about um, which I think lots of people don't share those views and, and we don't condone them at all. I think it's one where that's someone she still has a court named after her, and players are sometimes expected to play on that court. And so I think some people do will have personal views that you don't agree with. And that many would think are bigoted in many ways um, or or could be interpreted as as that. So I think it is this thing where you can see what he was saying, but I do think it was completely insensitive um, to say that it shouldn't upset. Because if you're playing at someone who is actively supporting something that is, you know, destroying your country... um, And I think that that would be very distressing. So I think it is this um, difficult, difficult position between personal opinions and not discriminating against people like Margaret Court or people who have opinions that we don't agree with. Um, But it is just finding the line of trying to separate the tennis from the politics. And I think we're just finding that it's so intertwined and there's so much confusion um, and differences in how governments and institutions are handling it. Like I know the Ostapenko story that we're going to talk about now is that you know she can't control what happens in the tournaments but her funding's been cut because she plays tournaments where russians um and Belarusians are playing irrespective of anyone's views or what she supports so it feels like we're getting into this weird view where sometimes what you think does matter um like you have to say you don't support something then other ones it doesn't matter because you're just even there participating and therefore um that's that's a problem so um that one is a tricky one, but I think the only positive for her in that is that I don't think she'll be missing um, the $1,700 she was receiving a month from them because I think she's making a fair bit more than that. Um, but it obviously is symbolic that um, any Atvian player who wants to become a tennis player um, who wants to play in these tournaments will not get funding, which is um, is quite shocking, Kim.
1: Yeah, because this Ostapenko story... Um... Now, it's it's the uh, Latvian Olympic Committee basically decided that uh, Latvian athletes would be suspended if they participated in sporting events that were attended by Russian and Belarusian players. So, yeah, obviously, Yelena Ostapenko attending an tournament where there's Russian and Belarusians there, even though those Russian and Belarusians are playing under, you know, not their flag, but they're playing as neutrals. There's nothing to do with Ostapenko, is it, in the sense of she's got to play Indian Wells if she wants to forge a career and earn money. So yeah, she's, I don't think she's got a choice. She's having her uh, government funding suspended, but like you said, she'll be winning uh, prize money. she's done, it's tricky, right? Because she's done
0: a lot for her country and Latvian tennis by winning the French Open and representing yeah, her country at the Billie Jean King exactly. Cup. So it is, it is an odd move and um, hopefully one that won't be hmm. emulated um, around the globe because it doesn't quite seem fair, especially for those players who aren't earning as much as her
1: yeah players who absolutely rely on the you know government um funding you know the, the sporting kind of bodies from in their countries like this is would be you know crippling for them potentially financially so um a very unique uh, reaction i suppose uh and I guess with the war, you know, and how it interplays with sport, we do see all these sorts of different ways of going about it. And you know, some we may agree with, some we don't. And yeah, it's, it's sort of unpicking them as they, they come up. So um, yeah, um, let's have a look before we finish. For um, how's Nori doing? This episode. Oh, how's Nori doing? Oh, Francis GFO is serving for the match, so he's not doing too well actually. Uh, it's looking like it could be a standard six four six four job. Uh, so. I'm sure by we'll the time we finish it, it may well be over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we've got Alcaraz against Felix Oje Taylor Fritz against Yannick Sinner, Daniel Mevdev against Alejandro Davidovich Vakina and possibly, yeah, looking likely to be uh, TFO having beaten Norrie. Uh, on the women's side, we've got Svantik against Kastea, Mukova, Rabakina, Sakary versus Kvitova, and Goff versus Sabalenka. Oh, see, that's... Um yeah, tricky to pick out two winners, but let, or two finals and winners, Chris. Let, let's see. Are you sticking with your previous predictions? Um, well, actually, I think, in fact, you're going to have sure. to sure move away from Thanks your, your really... Rune Norrie <laughs> prediction. You're still on for Svantec's Sabalenka final. Are you sticking with that?
0: I, I'm, I'm going to stick with that one. I'll take that one. And then I'd say, if I was going to say, based on what I've seen, I would love it if Sinner came through and took a master's title mm-hmm. i really would like that so that's what i'm gonna say now what about you are you sticking with yours because it it can still happen he's
1: overdue one isn't he yeah so i wasn't here last week for your predictions when you unveiled them but i did have um sabalenka as my final but i've gone for sabalenka to win uh i'm gonna stick with that they're both still in the draw so why not why wouldn't i <laughs> uh but on the men's side i had a fritz medvedev final which also is still on um and i've got oh, medvedev winning well done
0: kim funny that when were these predictions made I know. My ask. <laughs> just before oh, we went don't live don't be
1: silly Christopher <laughs> no I can, I can
0: see that Rublev is in there I can see I can see
1: I had some players that have fallen by the way so I'd like Caroline you're Garcia just very, you're just very um, good at this
0: I think that's the problem Kim
1: I also thought Paola Badosa was going to resurrect her form when she won this title and I've got I had her in the semi-finals but that didn't go to plan although I can see you had Sloane Stevens in the semi finals oh, so the that's well, uh, yes. sorry
0: point made point made
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like laying into your predictions that I can hardly talk um but yeah we'll, we'll see when we catch up next week how they all panned out and we'll be back um to catch up on the rest of Indian Wells um the Cameron nori has just lost so uh the raspberry ripple outfit of francis tfo continues which i'm quite pleased about get to get to look at it again for another match because i've just I, I want a top or a dress in that color combination i you know i really want to buy his outfit basically we i love see it we'll um, send you it i yeah i could i could i've got some weddings coming up in april do you think that yeah, would work be like lovely lovely print. really nice yeah. belt <laughs> it heal it
0: statement lip <laughs> and you're good to go
1: uh, <laughs> Uh, Listeners, I hope you have enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly Podcast. Uh, Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all of the action from the ATP and WTA tours. Uh, We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify as well.
0: You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. You can email the show at tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out our website, tennisweekly.co.uk.
1: And we'll be back next week at Tennis Weekly HQ for another episode. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you all again soon.